Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes, episode 20. My name is Jared. I'm here with my good friend, Stephen. How are you doing, brother? I am doing well today. Well, as well as I think anybody here in America is doing today. America, how are you doing? Same. About as well as one can be expected. Um, disappointed and hopeful is a, a, a strange cocktail of emotions to be choking down uh, last 48 hours. I'm not happy uh, with a lot of individuals um, in this country and my people that are no uh, family. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm just not happy. Uh, but football is a welcome distraction. Um, and I've been thinking uh people like Zach Hicks and uh that works for Stampy Blue and other uh sports writers this week for putting out great content and being a welcome distraction given all the noise. Um this is episode twenty. Uh this is leading it. This is the you know, the twenty 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 one NFL regular season is over. The Colts this past Sunday righted the wrong that happened week one that's all i could really call that it was just wrong (laughs) and beat the jacksonville jaguars 28 14 finished 11 and 5 made it to the playoffs and yep everything fell right for the colts well not everything but enough right for the colts (laughs) um which was enough was just one game that that fell right and so colts fans were, were very thankful for the buffalo bills uh, last week, and we are less thankful for them going into this week. Absolutely. Um, while we're kind of looking at this Jags Colts game, um, Mike Glennon went 26 or 42 for 261 yards and two touchdowns, but he was sacked six times. Um, I'm <laughs> to to set a theme for the show. I'm not happy that the Colts allowed Mike to complete 26 of 42 passes. They made a career nobody backup look pretty good in spots. But like I said, they dialed up pressure. They they uh, sacked Mike. Uh, the Jags were not able to effectively run the football, which again, that's a recurring theme on this podcast, especially it comes out of my mouth all the time. If you can run the ball effectively and prevent your opponent from doing it, Probably going to win some football games. Um, but say that to say Colts secondary uh, let Chris Conley 
almost go for 100 on seven catches, 737. And LaVisca Chenault, who I want to point out, by the way, Stephen Reed had a good read on uh, going into this past draft. And really, I, I'm pretty positive we had a good conversation on our podcast about LaVisca Chenault. And then he had six catches for 68 yards and two touchdowns. So defensively for the Colts, while only giving up 14 points and on the whole, right, we're happy about you forced a turnover. You only allow you didn't even allow 20 points. Um, you, you didn't let them run the ball. Right. That said, though. Um, you got the Colts secondary has to improve their play in the passing game considerably if they're going to have any chance of beating the Buffalo Bills this week. And Rock Yassin was, as far as I know, not at the practice today. Rock Yassin is ruled out. Yeah. that's uh, That doesn't bode well. But I will say that to say he hadn't played well. So, ah, Terry's played well. There's other, there's other cornerbacks that are fine. And here's the biggest issue. Um, and get, jumping ahead of myself for the, going into this game is the health of the Bills receivers. So it could end up being like ah, it ended up not being that big a deal. But it could. What if they're what if they're bluffing? What if Cole and and Diggs are fine and they're just bluffing, right? And the Colts are in trouble. I think. Uh, that said, though, Philip Rivers, 17 for 27 for 164 yards, a touchdown, an interception. He's good for it every four or five games. He's going to do something dumb. Um, not his cleanest outing. Battling a toe injury anyway. So he, I think that's a limited outing from him anyway, right? 17 completions. I, I want to, without looking it up, say that's the least he's had in the last six games. I think he had 18 uh, one other game. Uh, say all that about Phillip Rivers to say, this victory belongs firmly in the hands of young Jonathan Taylor, who carried the ball 30 times by himself, 253 yards, five, uh, eight yards of freaking carry, two tutters, and lit that Jacksonville defense up. And they are going to have nightmares all off season because I'm going to say this now: you got everybody, all these Colts fans think 11 and five is that's a pretty good year, yeah. Wait, wait till Paris Campbell, Marlon Mack, and this offense stay healthy for a season, right? Wait till, wait till this offense is healthy, right? This offense was not healthy this year. This offense was beat up. Anthony Costanzo, Paris Campbell, Marlon Mack didn't play a lot, right? Missed some games. Let's say that. Costanzo missed the games. Marlon Mack, Paris Campbell basically missed the whole season. Um, I'd argue, moving forward, that... Mac and Taylor could very well be the most dominant running back duo in NFL history um, if they get to play together. And I, I, I think it'll happen. I don't know that it'll happen. But, man, I want to see it. I just, you know, I grew up on basketball on grass with, with you know, the spread option and overtaking the West Coast. And now it's... Can you stop the run? Oh, okay, then we're just going to run it down your throat. And that's what the Colts did on Sunday. Uh, notably, Naheem Hines only had two carries. However, he also averaged like eight yards a carry. Um, 
and Naheem Hines was our leading receiver, had six catches for 50 yards. And Naheem Hines, for me, is he's become Darren Sproles. He's not widely used in a run game, more important than the passing game, but he's kind of a does-it-all guy. You want to put him out there and put the ball in his hands and see what he can do, um, to, especially to, to give young Taylor a rest. Um, T.Y. Hilton caught a touchdown. Um, but largely, this game, this game was mostly over, and it felt like the Colts let the Jags back in it because they were bored. Um, that's the only thing I can figure. Darius Leonard had 10 tackles. Kenny Moore had eight, and those are pretty much your defensive MVPs outside of DeForest Buckner. But yeah, all things said, I think anytime you double up your opponent, anytime it's a closeout game, you double up your opponent, and you make the playoffs, it's real hard to be upset about that win. However, I'm sure Stephen Reed could tell you, that ain't the way you want to close out a season. No, you know, it's not the way you want to necessarily close out a season, but you're also not closing out a season because uh, we play this week too. I like a regular we'll season. Um, yeah. Like, like you don't want to, every game and especially division games are tough. I mean, shoot, you saw uh, Tennessee have a difficult time with, with Houston to where, you know, realistically Houston, that game should have gone to overtime. If not for, for whatever reason, Houston not playing a cover two and letting AJ Brown get a 54 yard reception with 17 seconds left in the game to put them in position to, to win it. Um, you know, you division games are always tough for whatever reason, the Jaguars always give the Colts fits. And so there's not a lot that, that you can say about it other than that. Um, you know, the, the Colts had a good, good game against the run, you know, Jacksonville never really got started. You worry about giving, you know, now the Colts in, in multiple games this season have had lesser quarterbacks really play very well against them. And so that's a little bit Concerned. frustrating. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew looked like an all pro and now you've got Mike Lennon that looked like an all pro uh, in the second half. Yeah. Um, you can't do that with Josh Allen because he literally is an all pro like player. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you mentioned something. Um, it, well, we'll get to that when we get to game preview for for this week. Um, but yeah, the good thing about the Colts this week is that you really saw Jonathan Taylor. He's been continuing to improve every week since about week eight, week nine. Um, and so you love to see that from him. And you love to see that he's getting more comfortable with the offensive line and the offense as a whole because he's the guy that you really need to show out this weekend if the Colts are going to have a chance. Um, right. And it's good to, that he got rolling. Um, he's played really well. It's really cool to see how humble he is um, when it comes to uh, interviews that, that, that's gone on this week and, and everything you hear about him in general. Um, but yeah, the defense played well um, for the most part. You know, the, the passing game is a little, little concerning. Uh, or the pass defense is a little concerning if they're not able to get pressure with that front four. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that this was intentional, that they didn't try to get pressure through blitzing this week because they didn't really need to, or they didn't feel like they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got 
because this week they're going to need to bring pressure on Josh Allen. Um, and so, yeah, th- this past week it was a great win. The Colts got lucky uh, in, in that the Dolphins just had a massive choke job and, and got lucky this time. This time got lucky with COVID because, you know, Ryan Fitzmagic was out because of a right. COVID um, COVID test. And um, that's and that's relevant because Tua had a bad game. And the Dolphins have inserted Fitzmagic in games where uh, Tua has struggled, and it has worked out for them. Uh, I think and he's come back months. and worked his Fitzmagic, and yeah, two or three times this season where they, they've had to rely on Fit, Fitzpatrick to come back and really save them and save their season. Right. And, and and so there's only so long, and COVID finally, you know. It, Again, you, you never want to hear people get sick uh, or test positive for it. Right. But this is one of those cases where it ended up working in the Colts' favor for once. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you've got that going on. So it was good to see the the, the Colts get an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it's good that the the staff there at, at Lucasola Stadium and the Colts organization decided to go ahead and play, display those scores on the scoreboard there in, in the stadium. Because mm-hmm. it let everybody know that, hey, all you got to do is win. Just win, baby, and you're in. Right. Um, now, at that point, you knew you were either going to be the, the four seed because of, of a possible Tennessee loss, or you're going to be the seven. And there was no other way around it. So you were either playing, hosting the Baltimore Ravens, which hot one of the hottest teams in the AFC, um, or you were going to Buffalo playing the Buffalo Bills, who who are the hottest team in the in the AFC? They um, ain't played nobody in the last like, five weeks. That's true too. But still, when you get rolling, when you get confidence in the NFL, you get confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you so, run into hey, when you run into a buzzsaw, though, you run into a buzzsaw, and they're yeah. about to run into a buzzsaw. Is what I'm telling you. Well, like, I, if if beat, the Colts though? can put the if the Colts can put a, together a full game, I, I agree with you. Oh, I agree there. The I, problem I is the think, Colts haven't. I think the Colts have been. I don't know, do man. Think, I, I think, think they've, they've been, been doing back. the old Muhammad Ali rope adult. Yes, hundred. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. We have seen first halves where you're like, "This is what we're capable of." Holy shit! You've had second halves. We were like, holy second half adjustments, right? And we've also had complete games this year. We didn't say that last year. We didn't say that year before, right? Even with Andrew, man, there were games where you're like, yeah, I played good for like three quarters, man. It's very difficult in the NFL to play a full game because and again this isn't this is something i've said before these are basically olympic athletes that are also really good at a sport that requires a lot of physical contact and there's guys that go out dinged up injured concussed uh it games change there's a game within a game i realized um, I need to, well, I need to back up and tell a story, but I realized recently, I'll say it like this, I realized recently that um, while the quarterback doesn't make the team necessarily, um, every player 
every starter is very important. Every starting spot is very important. There's a reason that it's 11 on 11. Um, and it does inhibit your um, play calling when you are missing your left tackle or uh, one of your wide receivers or in the conversation we were just having about the Dolphins, right? your backup quarterback that you rely on in tight spots when your very young quarterback is struggling, right? So the Colts have gotten very lucky. Um, Even though they, again, even though in my opinion, they're down several starters um, as we head into this game, right? You're down Rock Willis. That's, I guess, two. So it's not. You're not down Willis. You're down Holden and Yassine. I don't think Willis was ruled out. I think he is a full participant today. Oh, I will take good news at every turn, brother. So fine. What about Buckner? I saw a questionable tag. Buckner's been, he's been questionable every, every day, like for the past, like three months. Um, <laughs> but they, he's they, highly questionable. Frank Rakes, no. Um, Frank Rakes put him on the list and they, uh, are monitoring him uh, with an ankle injury. It happened a couple, two, three weeks ago, and it's been said it's been progressively getting better ever since. And so he's, they said that this is actually the best that he's, he's looked in a while. And so, yeah. I want to make sure we point out here, uh, this isn't going to feel like a playoff game. I just want to make sure that we do set expectations for our fans. Um, not going to be a full house, Buffalo. Uh, not going to be the usual raucous playoff atmosphere. It's going to be quiet. And it's going to be, in my eyes, very sad. Um, but it works for the Colts. Because if you played a down of football in your life, <laughs> meaningful, you know it's very difficult to play in a hostile environment and i've played in a in a a few games in my life where i could only really hear my heartbeat outside of just sheer nonsense and uh if you've tried to take anything real super serious (laughs) when it's thunderous around you um it's a lot different when there's 10% of the audience. Um, And I think that bodes well for the Colts. And here's what I'll tell you. If COVID didn't exist, Colts lose this game. It's not close. They get blown out on youth and straight speed because their secondary cannot guard Stephon Diggs and he's too smart of a receiver. And McDermott's going to scheme that kid open all game. He's going to have 15 catches and three touchdowns, probably 300 yards on his own. Now, that's with a full house. And all the stress of playing on the road for the Colts and their youth and rather, like I said, sort of inept secondary in terms of the rest of the team, right? If you were going to poke a hole in the Colts, you'd say, well, throw on them, right? Especially if Malik Mm -hmm. Hooker's in the game, throw it over his head, right? Um, However, and if you're ready, we can get off the... Jags, I'm always ready. Game, move to the Colts Bills game. I don't think the Colts lose this game. And I'm prepared to talk about why. 
but I'm gonna let you go first. Go ahead. Tell me what you. Okay. Do. So this game is uh, weirdly enough, you know, the depending on the weather and the injury situation for both teams, I think this game is going to be closer than a lot of people think it is. Um, the Colts, the the key for the Colts winning this game is to get pressure on Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I I you know, kind of previewed earlier in the podcast. Uh, the biggest issue that Josh Allen has had this year is when teams give him exotic blitzes from different locations. So he's got a if you make him keep his head on a swivel, looking for where the pressure is going, that gives your defensive backs a little bit more time and it gives your rushers a chance to get there. The good thing about the Colts right now is you've got Kamoko Ture that's really coming into his own as a speed rusher, and you've got some really good blitzing linebackers and cornerbacks. And so the Colts can bring pressure. And if you've noticed this entire season, they haven't really done that. Right. Um, they haven't really brought a lot of pressure. And so it until would be, they had to have it. Yeah, until until they really, really had to. And when they did, it was very effective because the other team wasn't prepared for it. And so if the Colts can effectively shorten this game and and run the ball with Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor's got to have probably 25 to 30 touches this game mm-hmm. um, in order for the Colts to win, I think. And so you hope that Frank Reich continues to feed Jonathan Taylor. And I, you'll, if you ever if anybody follows me on Twitter, you, you recognize that during the games, I will whenever they start to just pull Taylor for an unknown reason. I will just tweet, you know, feed Jonathan Taylor and then they'll put him back in and he'll go for like a huge run. And I'm like, mm-hmm. just do what I say. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm not some dumb fan. I know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, and so you look at that and you say, okay, you know, how do they win? They win by controlling the clock. They, they win by giving Jonathan Taylor a lot of touches. And then on defense, when Buffalo does have the ball, that you have to put pressure on Josh Allen because he will make mistakes. Um, it, it's just, that's who he is as a quarterback. And you've seen the Colts do this. You, you've seen Darius Leonard spy quarterbacks like uh, Deshaun Watson, who is similar in play style to Josh Allen, except for Josh Allen is, you know, is, is um, uh, Justin Houston said, he's more like a tight end out there rather than, you know, Deshaun Watson's more like, a, I mean, let me rephrase future Colts quarterback Deshaun Watson is mm-hmm. more like a, you know, running back, a wide receiver. He's they're shifty. Um, yeah. Josh Allen is, is more like a Andrew Luck style tank where he's just going to he, run you over. Um, if like, he's really hard to bring down. Um, are you ready? Or I'll give you your comp. Are you ready? It's big Ben. Yeah. No, he's Tom Brady and Gronk's body. <laughs> no, because Tom Brady does, six, Tom Brady's six, got right? a noodle arm. Um, he can't. He's got a noodle arm. He can't now. Uh, now no, he had one. Yeah. <laughs> he um, would not. <laughs> if any, again, if anybody's followed the podcast, you know my disdain for Tom Brady and the fact that oh, yeah. he is not the greatest quarterback of all time. <laughs> he's the greatest system quarterback of all time. Yeah. Um, because he, he, he's, he's the played, greatest product. At quarterback at all time, the, he he is the result. Yeah, that's fine too. Of yeah. a very He's well result of Bill Belichick's system, and a bit, yeah, like it's yeah. Um, anyway, 
the Colts have had success blitzing quarterbacks in this same situation, you know, last year against Patrick Mahomes in, in Kansas city. He's a very similar style quarterback to, to Josh Allen, big arm can make all the throws is mobile enough. And, and you noticed this year with the exception of when the Colts really needed it, they didn't blitz the mobile quarterbacks that they faced. Um, and so they really kind of settled back, let them play off coverage. And there's a part of me that wonders, you know, whether it was all a ruse to lull Buffalo to sleep so they don't have this tape. So then they cannot prepare for this um, based on the players that the Colts have. Because remember in Kansas City, in Kansas City, it was a, a unique circumstance because the Colts also didn't have Darius Leonard that game. And so the Colts had to do something. And they uh, were very effective in blitzing Patrick Mahomes. Now that you obviously have Darius Leonard, you also have DeForest Buckner. Um, and you also have Kamoko Ture for the full game this year. Like he got injured, I think, late in, in the Kansas City game, like fourth quarter. And so you saw how influential he was in terms of chasing down that mobile quarterback. What's going to be the biggest concern for me for the Colts defense is the health of Cole Beasley. Um, because if Beasley is healthy, it changes the entire dynamic of that Buffalo offense. And yes, I understand Buffalo in their past, like three or four games have averaged like 49, 50 points a game. Yeah. yeah. It's like video game Madden numbers, but they haven't really played anybody. Um, you know, uh, Jared, Jared and I talked before and Jared mentioned that, that they really haven't played anybody for the past, like five weeks, six yeah. weeks, seven weeks, something like Here, that. You may tell you who they're, who they played brother. Yeah. Miami five week or most recently 56 26 that that was their cap of their season they they blew out miami on a, on a night and a lot of those struggled. touchdowns people people need to understand like a two one of those touchdowns was special teams one of those i think was a pick six right maybe two and another one i think was a short field yeah off a turnover so 21 of those 56 points don't happen in normal games. And if you just take 21 away from 56, it's 35, 26. And then you're like, ah, that's a, a nine point win. Game. That's a decent win. But here the week prior, they played new England. Mm. The week prior to that, they played Denver, the most injured team Oof. in the NFL. The week prior, they played Pittsburgh, who we've said all year is not what their record says. And then five weeks ago, they played San Francisco, who has not have their starting quarterback. And they're also really injured, and they're not the same team they were last year. Oh, by the way, the Colts stole the Forrest Buckner. That's why the 49ers are 6-10, and by the way. So that and Garoppolo was injured. So if you really, really think about it, they have one quality win in their last five weeks, and it was last week when three touchdowns happened that normally wouldn't. And if the final were 35-26 and they were 3-2 and two in their last five, you would say, ah, Bills are okay. At least they finished their season on a high note. And I think that's about where we need to be placing the Bills. Because if you look at a 13-3 and three record and all you're looking at is the end result and not like, look at what happened down the stretch – the last five games, right? So take five wins away from them. They're eight and three, right? Mm-hmm. They're the basically they're the Colts. They just didn't play anyone the last five weeks. 
So I understand from a lot of people's perspective because I've literally begun – this is the only time of the year where people I don't normally talk to reach out to me. Um, people have reached out that I haven't talked to in years and said, holy you know, crap, the Colts made the playoffs. How do you think they're going to do against the Bills? Um, or people have stuck it in my inbox and said like, hey, Colts are getting their butt whooped this weekend. And I want to also point out on this podcast that uh, God bless Buffalo Bills fans, man. They really – other every other NFL franchise, and that includes Colts fans, needs to model their attitude after the Bills. Uh, I've been to their Stampede Blue page. I don't even know what it's called. And they're good fans, man. They're realistic. They're just – they're my people. But it, they're like a Midwest team too, so – or at least that's what I would look at, like an upper, you know, peninsula, upper New York team. Um, yeah, that's Buffalo that, uh, Rumblings. If anybody wants to, it's just good it, fans, man. They, they, you know, I, I made that post game rap video, and it got a ton, a metric ton of comments from Bills fans, mostly saying like Bills first round victim, and man, you gonna be crying next week, and all that garbage talking their smack. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna lay down math for everybody tonight, and that that was where I was going. But I want to make sure that I I let you go as long as you want to go talking about this game before I whip out the math. Because um, re- like I said, the the more I dig into it, the more I kind of smile, and I'm thinking, man. I I do think it's interesting that you haven't seen anybody in the national media or pick the Colts and. and to be fair, earlier in the week I was on. Uh, earlier in the week I was on um, the the Locked On Colts uh, podcast with Evan Sidery and as one of his guests, and it was one of those situations where he asked me who I thought would win the game, and like my gut was like, well, I think the Colts might win, but like yeah. I'm sitting there going, but if I'm like if I'm having to put money or bet on this, then I'm going to say the Bills 34-31, mm-hmm. um, but. If I'm going to go out here and tell you, you know, in my fan hat, what I think is going to happen, I think the Colts might win 31-27 um, because I I just – I feel like the Colts, assuming that Beasley doesn't play. He's out. It, 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 was he ruled out? He was ruled out. I'm literally looking at the injury report. It's in front oh, of me. Oh, okay. That's Gilli- the, Gilliam okay. and Beasley have been ruled out. The tight end had been ruled out. Mm-hmm. Diggs has so, uh, got a questionable tag. This okay, so this changes the entire dynamic of this game right now. If Beasley is out uh, and he's been ruled out, so he's out at this point um, because you can't be ruled out and then all of a sudden magically get better um, in the NFL. This is there's no magic spray like in soccer. Um, and so there's with not Beasley, with Beasley out. Um, uh, it allows the Colts to basically bracket Diggs. Yeah. And you're you're able to put Xavier Rhodes over there and he can play him short in that shallow zone. And then you could have Kyrie Willis over the top of Julian Blackman over the top. Um, or actually what you would do is you'd have Kyrie Willis over there. You'd have Julian Blackman on the other side so you can protect yourself against um, some of the, the Buffalo Bills deep threats. And so without Beasley, Beasley is a zone killer. Right. And specifically a cover to zone killer. And he's quick. Right. He's shifty. He gets in and out of there. And this this is huge for the Colts because Buffalo's not going to be able to run at all against this right. front four. No team has, really, except for Derrick Henry. Um, and it's Derrick Henry. 
Um, so the, Zach Moss is no Derrick Henry. Um, it's just not going to happen this week. So if the Bills cannot run the ball and they don't have Beasley to, to relieve that quick pressure, um, then the Colts are effectively able to match up well with the Bills in terms of having a, a linebacker, a fast linebacker, or a safety on the tight end and having you know, Rhodes or um, Carey over there on Stefan Diggs and able to bracket him and then having one more guy to be able to to keep off that deep ball. Let me backpedal. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. While we're sitting things. here. While we're sitting here. Yeah. I'm not able to confirm Beasley's out. Oh. I, I'm I'm getting conflicted inform conflicting information. It looks like he has a knee injury. He has not practiced all week. And he did not practice today, and he's got an official questionable tag. Um, oh, okay. That so he said, may though, still play. I'm on ESPN's yeah. website, and it has him listed as out today. Like, it has January 7th. It says that he is out, um, him and Gilliam. But Gilliam's was from two days ago. So, again, I'm sorry I, for interrupting. I just want to make sure I told you, hey, brother, I misspoke. I was reading an injury report on ESPN, and then immediately, as soon as you were like, oh, that changes everything, I was like, oh, crap. Let me go look elsewhere and see if I can verify that, and I cannot. So let me just – I wanted to interject and say that. Sorry. All right. No worries. Um, so if – okay, so if Beasley is out. There you go. Then that changes everything because it allows the Colts to play the defense a little bit differently. It mm -hmm. allows them to shift focus over to Diggs, which – with Beasley being in there, it requires the Colts to kind of play off a little bit on digs. And you have to have somebody there to cover Beasley, um, who is shifty as I'll get out. Um, now, the fact that he's got a knee injury and his entire game is predicated on uh, agility and getting in and out of breaks, it, it doesn't bode well. Um, but I think for a playoff game, they are going to juice him up and he probably will play is my guess. Um, or at the very least, this is gamesmanship and they're going to sit here and try to say, oh, yeah, 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 you know, he's totally going to play. So we're going to play game day before the game. He's like, uh, he's out. Yeah. Um, and so either way, you know, the Colts have an opportunity here. Um, if they can get pressure on Josh Allen, make him throw quickly. I think what the Colts are like fourth in the NFL uh, in, in opponents QBR, if the Colts defense is fourth um, NFL and, and opponents QBR if they make the quarterback throw under 2.5 seconds. But if they throw over, if they have more than two and a half seconds. The Colts drop to 29th. So it's very important that they get to these quarterbacks quickly, because if they do not, the Colts defense is in trouble and that zone is in trouble. So that's that's my big, big takeaway for the Colts on defense. I think Julian Blackman has an opportunity to have a pretty big game uh, here. And one thing also, the Bills as a team, uh, they're not really careful with the ball. Uh, and as we all know, the Colts are pretty darn good at causing fumbles, mm -hmm. and they're taught very well in, in terms of causing fumbles, getting turnovers. I think the Colts' defense is going to have to come up big in this game, and they're going to have to make a turnover, potentially do some kind of pick six or scoop and score. Because um, otherwise, I think that it's – if Buffalo gets rolling, 
I don't have a lot of faith in the Colts' ability to come back because you take away the Colts' best player on offense, which right now is outside of Quentin Nelson, is Jonathan Taylor. Um, and what you really want is for Philip Rivers not to have to go out and win the game. Right. Like, you want this to be Jonathan Taylor's breakout here in these playoffs because if the Colts can win this week, if they if they can beat the Buffalo Bills, they're going to head to Kansas City because they're the seventh seed. So they're always going to play whoever the top seed is left. So the Colts will have an opportunity to go to Kansas City and play them after they've effectively had a two-week bye. Right. And if you ever you're going to catch Kansas City sleeping, right. it's as a seventh seed off of a two-week bye when it's going to be cold in Kansas city and you're going to have limited crowd. Like that to me is the the opportune chance for the Colts to be able to get a win here in Buffalo, get a win in Kansas city. And then, you know, I, now I don't know if the NFL is going to let that happen, but um, you know, once you get to the playoffs, they, they've sold all the, the ads at this point. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, the one other good thing about the Colts defense is uh, I, I firmly believe this, but I think Rock Yassin's, uh reputation has really hindered his development um, after that Denver game and then a Denver game last year. And then a couple of games this year, he got called for some really questionable penalties. He is a cornerback that doesn't like to flip his hips as often. His hips aren't as smooth as they should be. And he's really grabby he hasn't committed nearly as many penalties as people think. It's just when he has, they've been at really, really inopportune times. Right. And so when you look at him and the way that he plays last week, two weeks ago, or last week when he was out, um, TJ Carey should have gotten called for a couple holding calls, if not a couple pass interference calls. And I almost guarantee that if that was Rock Yassin, he would have been called for them. So the Colts may benefit from Yassin being out this week just to give officials time not to focus on him. <laughs> and and really, it's one of those out of sight, out of mind situations. And this is one of those other situations where, you know, we talk about the players we have. Unfortunately, there's one player that you know did what he thought was best for his family at the beginning of the season that would have really, really been helpful right now. And that's Marvell Tell. Um, and I know a lot of Colts fans might've forgotten about him. He was coming on really strong at the end of last year. He was projected to be the third cornerback here and compete with Rocky scene for the starting spot uh, on the outside based on how well he had played. And he went ahead and sat the season out for COVID. I understand it. I get it. Um, as somebody who has been very restrictive myself I'm with my family because I have somebody who is immunocompromised that live in my, lives in my house. And so I get it. I can't wait to see him next year for when he's back and the Colts can really get a chance to play with him and have him in the lineup and see how this changes everything. But yeah, I think ultimately my keys to the game for the Colts are focus on Jonathan Taylor, run the damn ball, um, have, it's going to open up play action pass for Philip Rivers. You're going to be able to get a deep shot if you want it um, on this with T.Y. Hilton um, for over the top. The other things to consider is on defense, you got to blitz Josh Allen. 
and you got to blitz him from a variety of spots. You got to make him keep his head on a swivel because if you do not do that, he is going to take you apart. He is deservedly in the MVP conversation this year. Um, and then if the, the big, you know, unknown right now is Cole Beasley for the bills offense. If he is out, it changes the entire way the defense is played on on Saturday. Remember guys, it's a Saturday game, Saturday at one o'clock. Uh, right. And if he does play, that could not bode well for the Colts, at least on, from a defensive standpoint, based on if they're not able to get to them. Yeah. But I think th- if they're not able to get to Josh Allen, then it's going to be an issue. Um, if Josh Allen has even you know three, four seconds to throw, I think it's going to be a huge issue for the Colts defense. Um, the only way I see the Colts winning this is if they're able to keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands, they're able to restrict the the Buffalo Bills running games and they're able to get a turnover or two on defense. Yeah. Agree. So what I've been kind of looking at, I I do this every week, man. I, I'll I'll tell you what I see. Um I think just like you said, I, I if Cole Beasley were healthy I'd be swallowing my tongue saying, man, want the Colts win, but Buffalo offense, man. However, comma, every week I sit here while I'm talking to you. I try to let you go first so I can look at data and kind of see if your story you're telling matches what I'm seeing. And it always does. However, things I see that I'm like, oh, that breaks well for the Colts. I look at efficiency first. On offense, Colts are ninth. Bills are second. On defense, Colts are ninth. Bills are 14th. Now, where are the Colts uh, and Bills very similar in pass defense? They're just about neck and neck in every category. Where they split is where this game breaks for the Colts. And I'm just going to tell you right now, Colts are going to go into Buffalo and they're going to beat them. And they're going to beat them with Josh Allen standing on the friggin' sideline freezing cold um, because the Buffalo Bills defense misses tackles at about double the clip the Colts do. And the Colts are really good at tackling, so that does not bode well. Um. Buffalo, in terms of efficiency, is in the 20s as a rush defense. That doesn't bode well for a team that doesn't want to use its quarterback to beat you, that has multiple running backs they can beat you with. Um, The Colts are a team that cannot get behind. When I say cannot, they can't come back from being down several scores, as you pointed out, because that's not how their offense is built. They're not a, you know, a one-play score offense. They don't have, they don't show that. However, I think in about the last four or five weeks, the Colts offense has appeared to me to be a little more elusive and dangerous. And again, and I know that I sound like a crazy person, but I've had this Cheshire cat smile on my face all season long. 
when I've listened to everyone talk about burning the house down, getting rid of getting rid of Frank Reich as play caller, getting rid of Philip Rivers, and da 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 da, da dude is like top ten quarterback in the NFL, maybe top twelve. Uh, at 37 years old in his first year with a new organization, with a coach, sure, that he was familiar with and a system he was familiar with. But I think Philip Rivers, for the scenario we're in, if you really think have some perspective, we're in the largest civil rights protest since 1960s. We're in a pandemic the world's never seen. We're in the middle of a recession the world's never seen. And Philip Rivers moves his family from sunny California to the middle of the Midwest and wins double-digit games. And again, I've also said team wins are not a QB stat. So while the team won 11 games, for Philip Rivers, this is still the opportunity of a lifetime. Because just like you said, you are not running the football against this team. And the Colts have contained mobile quarterbacks all year long. That is an a big part of Josh Allen's game, is his ability to extend plays when the pass protection breaks down and do something with the football other than throw it out of bounds at someone in the stands. Josh Allen can run for first downs. He run for touchdowns. He could be a goal line guy. He can also roll out and throw it. Hits accurate targets uh, on traditional pass downs when he just gets a three-step drop and throw. So he does a lot of things right. But what I also see is what you kind of leaned into is Josh Allen stares down his receiver like I have never seen in my adult life. And he's got away with it all year long, but I promise you, you don't get away with that against a quarterback. Frank Reich has told that defense. He stares his receiver down. Watch him play, bro. He, when he knows where he's going, Oh, he's looking at it for three or four seconds. Like he's got to buy it first. You want to turn around, see what the back looks like. So that that all that information, that's good for the Colts. Now, on passing offense, man, the Bills are just on one. But they're aided greatly by Stephon Diggs, who's the NFL's leading receiver at 1,500-plus yards. And like 126 catches. The Colts have also, since Frank Reich's got here, fared pretty well against number one wide receivers. So I'm telling you, Colts fans, that we have been counted out because ain't nobody watching the Colts play. Right? They're being force-fed NFC East games and trying to have conversations like that particular division is relevant right now. Um, when the reality is the Colts have been slept on because there's no ESPN Indianapolis. right? Because Basically because Pat McAfee curses too much. Um, but the Colts have achieved largely similar groundbreaking results that the bills have had. It's just the bills have done it with passing the ball and the Colts have done it on the ground and recently. 
And I think that it's just a perfect mix of things where it's like, hey, the Colts are very good at playing situational football. I know that if you're a Colts fan and you're listening to this podcast, you're like, Jared, show me great situational football. Okay. Minnesota, Chicago specifically. Uh, and then if you and if you really think about where the strength lies on those teams and how, what the Colts did, first of all, win both games and dominate both games and took away their strengths. That's what I'm getting at. Um, that's how you win is you exercise your demons, right? You make sure whatever you're really good at, you do that on offense. And then when you're on defense, you take away what they're good at, which is contain Josh Allen with great upfield pressure. And I think we've said this on this podcast, or maybe it was in a coach's meeting uh, the other day. Quarterbacks hate getting pressured up the middle. I didn't see a lot of pressure up the middle when I played quarterback because I played like 4A football here in Indiana, which... Ain't nobody I played against playing Division One or going to the NFL. So I didn't see a lot of pressure from the middle. But I saw it in practice because we had great defensive linemen, and they chewed me up, right? They would have hit me if I wasn't wearing a, a no-contact jersey, ours are yellow. But like I said, the reality is with the Colts now, they don't have to pass to beat you. <laughs> and the thing about that is they've had to do that for the last 20 plus years. And the problem is that it puts the ball in one man's hand and requires him to just make magic happen. And at this point in Philip Rivers career, sorry, homie, give the rock up. And that's a good thing for the Colts because the bills are more likely to turn it over on offense and when I say more likely, it's percentage points. It's not like a tenth of a percent. It's like they're degrees more likely to commit a turnover um, than the Colts are. So the Colts are better at hanging on to the football. The Bills are worse at giving it up. Um, the, the Colts are going to struggle in pass defense. But again, if they're not able to run... And ain't going to be able to run. And if Cole Beasley is limited and Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley did not practice today. And I think if there's a position on the field that you have, you have to have a good rhythm with at all times, it's your quarterback to wide receiver, your offensive and defensive lineman, you need them to rest. You need them to be as healthy as you can, as often as you can. And so those guys tend to like get the, the DNPs during the week, DeForest Buckner, Anthony Costanzo, right? Those guys get that veteran day off regularly. Receivers don't is what I'm getting at. Like guys like T.Y., they don't typically happen to a franchise. So while he's here and performing, please appreciate the hell out of T.Y. Hilton because most wide receivers don't last. And I'd point out too that Stefan Diggs is very temperamental and that if you're playing sound defense against him and you are smacking him around when he touches that football and you're putting a hat on a hat on him, not hat on hat, which is what I almost said. Um, if you're putting a hat on him and hitting him and not letting him catch the ball, make a move, get a first down and then get out of bounds clean. 
he's going to tear you up. But if you put a hat on him and you push him on the, at the line of scrimmage, you can make him uncomfortable. And the Colts are the exact team to do that because they want to play physical football. They just can't. It's basically here's here's what I've watched the Colts do over the last three years. They went from a soft team with not enough talent to a hard ass team with a ton of talent that can't get other teams to play on their level. They're going to force the Bills to play their game. And Bills commit more turnovers. They commit more penalties. They're more likely to give the ball up. They're more like they're less likely to allow a score. But um, the, the Colts are better on average than the offenses that they're playing. So the Colts offense is very efficient. It's just not as efficient as the Bills have been. But that, NFC, that AFC East is terrible. So that's six of their 16 games that are just like, yeah, the, those teams are trash, right? And then, like I said, we went over the, the Bills' recent games. They ain't playing nobody. They could have very well been an 8-8 eight eight team if you just pick five different games. And I know that you're like, well, Jared, that's you're altering reality in order to fit your narrative. No kidding. I'm saying, like, they could have very well been an 8-8 eight eight team. They just played, like, crap teams down the stretch. And went from eight and three, which is still could have been eight and eight missed playoffs, and they didn't play nobody, and they were he- rather healthy. And now, now that they're in the playoffs, now they're going to struggle because they're not healthy and they're not playing a cupcake. And I just want to make sure that I get it on wax that your boy sat here and told you, in nor this is not a normal NFL season. There are not full house. Fans in the stands shaking the field. Normally, the home team in the NFL wins 63% of its games. Normally. I'm guessing, if you listen to this podcast, I ain't told you this yet. Only 51% of home teams won their games this year. And that's because there weren't fans there. So again, the Colts playing in Buffalo doesn't friggin' matter, except it could be a little colder than it would be if the Colts were at home. But otherwise, you're playing a team that is doing what most teams in the NFL strive to do and can't. And I think that, I think the foundation of the Colts offense is better than the foundation of the bills offense. Or to also say, I think the Colts offense is very difficult to stop. And I think that the bills offense is paper mache. uh, And they haven't, they haven't played good quality defenses uh, here down the stretch, and I get I'm saying the opposite of what you're saying. You're saying, hey, they're playing with a lot of confidence lately, and I'm saying they ain't played nobody. I'd have a lot of confidence too if I was walking into the end zone a lot because they ain't cover nobody. They're gonna get covered, they're gonna play defense. Rocky Asin's not out there, the guy that's been a liability for the Colts this year, and I think it's just growing pains personally. And I think that he can be coached, right? He things can change for him, he'll turn that around, he'll be just fine. 
uh, hopefully doesn't turn into another peer to seer. But cornerback is the most difficult position to play in football. The way the rules are in the NFL now, it's very difficult to play cornerback well. So one of the things I love I love to make sure that we point out is these players are people too. And I can promise you Rock SN ain't happy. This, this isn't what he wanted either. And he would love to be out there this week. But I also think the Colts will win without him. And if there's anything that you can say positive about this Colts team is that they have found a way to win even even when guys they usually don't win without aren't there. And it's one thing to play with a lot of confidence, and it's another thing to do it even though you're hurt, even though you're missing key pieces. And it just so happens that I think, first of all, this is this is the best matchup in the NFL. In terms of efficiency on offense and defense, these teams are neck and neck. The differences are the Bills miss more tackles on defense, the Bills commit more penalties on defense, and the force less turn and they well, they force less turnovers, but basically like the same amount as the Colts. They just don't force as many fumbles as the Colts. They have the same number of interceptions. Um, and yeah, on offense, that passing offense for the Bills is outstanding. But Colts do not allow you to run. They contain your fast quarterback. And then you can you can a quarterback head coach, Frank Reich, is going to have his secondary their shit together for this game, basically. Like they're going to play well this game, I can promise you. Right. Um, And to sort of close, remember that the average score of an NFL game is 23-20. That the over-under on this game is 51. Which lends itself to like a a 31-20 is a pretty good uh, final. And that's the Colts. Just so... Everybody heard it once again. Colts are going to win this game by double digits because Josh Allen's going to sit on the sideline for a very long period of time because the Buffalo Bills cannot stop the run. And yeah, Colts play on Saturday. There are two triple headers one o'clock. this weekend. It's the super wild card weekend. Weekend, weekend. Are they really calling it the Super Wildcard Weekend? Yeah, I think so. Probably. Okay. Mega Wildcard. There's some kind of superlative right in front of Wildcard Weekend yeah. um, because they're playing more games. But yeah, I, I do want to uh, point out, though, I think I can't think of another rookie that I would give rookie of the year to than Jonathan Taylor. Um, his stat line on the season, 232 carries, 1,169 yards. Nice. And 11 touchdowns. So um, here's a, I think Jonathan Taylor should win this award, but I think it's going to go to Justin Herbert just because he's oh yeah. a quarterback. Like, and it's That's sad because Jonathan Taylor. Well, and the other thing is, you know, through the course of the season, Justin Herbert has been a better 
more consistent player. Jonathan Taylor has had, if you extrapolate out his last four weeks that of the season, he would ha- he would average or he would have on the season 2,400 rushing yards and something like 32 touchdowns. Like that's, you know, that's quarterbacks numbers right there in terms of touchdowns. Right. Like, and, and so like his, his final four games of the season were just out of this mind. And sometimes that, that sways a lot because, you know, what have you done for me lately mm-hmm. in terms of voting? Um, and I don't think you can vote on any of these awards until after this season has concluded, the regular season has concluded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're probably going to see Jonathan Taylor get a lot of votes. Uh, I hope he wins offensive rookie yeah. of the year. Defensive rookie of the year is probably going to Chase Young. I don't really think that's much of a question. Like Mm-mm. he's just been absolutely dominant. There was a he's a good guy. Where, like Chin was was considered, and Blackman was was up there as well, but. You know, Chase Young has just been crushing it for the Washington football team, the playoff bound Washington football team, seven and nine. And and you know what? Hats off to Riverboat Ron. Right? Yeah, seriously. No, he's a heck of a coach. And I said he came into a precarious situation when he got hired. I think, you know, we had a podcast because it was. End of the season, Colts. Mm-hmm. We we went through and podcasted all the way through the to the draft, um, which uh, we we intend to do this year as well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Or I intend to. That might have been a surprise to Jared. He might have decided he wanted to ditch me. Um, uh-huh. But <laughs> um, that was one of the the big hires that we talked about last year in the off season. Is is how great of a hire Ron Rivera was for that organization if he was given mm-hmm. the opportunity. Um, for management and he's been given that opportunity to really change and change that locker room, change that team. And it's really shown And Washington's going to have a very good football team for a long time. Um, if they're able to continue to work well with Ron Rivera. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, you know, this weekend it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. There's one thing that I totally, you were, you were talking and a thought popped in my head Um about the game this weekend that I really wanted to to talk about, but then I completely forgot it because that, as Jared will tell you, that that happens a lot for me, um, as it is lots, lots of times things pop into my head and, and then they're gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a shoot. Oh, it was about the run game. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned the Colts running the ball. One thing that, we we should be we should talk about is the Colts running game. Their style of running bodes well for a matchup against Kansas City, or go bodes well against a matchup against Buffalo because the Buffalo defense does not play like that zone that zone power um, running game very well. Um, and so you're able to get a lot of wham blocks. You're able to to get that pulling guard through um, and you can open up some really big holes in that defense and outside, like they're, they're not a great team in the front seven, the Buffalo bills are like, they've got some good players and like individually like, yeah, okay. But they don't match up well against the Colts offensive line in terms of the running game, which is why I really hope that the bill, the Colts and Frank Reich will just kind of lean on Jonathan Taylor this mm-hmm. game. Yep. Um, and it, it, the number of snaps is going to be directly correlated to the the score of the game. 
Right. Like if Jonathan Taylor is up at 25, 30 snaps or 25, 30 carries in this game, then that tells you that the Colts are winning mm-hmm. and they are in the, they're in the lead and they're trying to, to work the clock. If Jonathan Taylor snaps are down in that 15 to 20 range and Naheem Hines snaps or touches are up, that tells you the Colts are getting blown out and they're trying to play comeback against a team that really kind of feeds off of getting quick pressure uh, from the defensive line and forcing teams to make turnovers. And they're very opportunistic. And so that's what the Colts really have to look out for is being able to run the ball and avoiding turnovers themselves. If they can do that, I think, honestly, the Colts have a great opportunity to pull off this upset. And, you know, like you don't want to, you don't want to underestimate Frank Reich in mm-hmm. Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Like, he led the biggest playoff comeback in NFL history. I think maybe even the biggest comeback in NFL history as the Buffalo backup quarterback in the playoffs. And so, and he's always everybody's second fiddle and yet he always excels. And so I wouldn't like completely discount Frank Wright coming into this game. I think they're going to have a good game plan to be able to keep up with Buffalo and, and stop, Josh Allen. So not not keep up but but limit the effect of, of Josh Allen in that Buffalo offense and be able to take advantage themselves. Yeah, so and I and I'm again we're basically in concert saying the same sorts of things. Buffalo is a six point favorite at home. We've talked about on this podcast about how when you look at the spread, you can you can see the score in the spread. You look at the over under, you look at the spread, and you try to do the math. The math is telling us this is a 27-20 game and that the Bills are going to win by a touchdown. Um, But like I said, when you take a deep look at the data and you look at things that happen in a game like missed tackles, penalties, turnovers, it just doesn't bode well for Buffalo. Um, If you're good, I did want to say Josh Allen's in the MVP conversation, uh, 396 of 572, uh, 69.2% completion percentage, 4,544 yards and 37 touchdowns with 10 interceptions. Um, Stephon Diggs, 127 receptions, uh, 1,535 yards and eight touchdowns. these two players are the entire the entirety the entirety of the strength of this offense nobody talks about the bills and says that offensive line's dominant that run game is underappreciated nobody says those things what they say is Josh Allen's outstanding Stefan Diggs is great if you can limit That connection, if you can, I think if you can get Josh Allen's uniform dirty and if you can put a lick on Stephon Diggs, you can derail that offense into a turnover, into just a bad series, giving a good field position, allow an easy score. And if that happens for the Colts, like I'm talking about, you're talking about how if you look at it and and you look at it, you're in the mid third quarter and Taylor's got 20 carries, we're probably winning this game. I say, if the Colts are able to contain Allen, pressure him, disrupt the, his connection with Stephon Diggs, and force an early turnover or get early good field position early and score, 
that for me signals a Colts win because what has happened lately with the Colts in, in games, which has come as a surprise. So this is not a norm. The Colts have started playing really well early in games and scoring early and putting the opponent on the back foot. And anytime that you're able to do that, um, you, you, the odds of you winning are astronomical compared to <laughs> obviously struggling to score in the first half or getting in a dogfight is what you typically call that. Um, but yeah, I just I want to make sure there's there's no one out there. Probably, I mean, I don't really listen to other. I'm sorry, I don't listen to other Colts podcasts except maybe Stephen Holder. Um, but the national media isn't giving the Colts a chance. There isn't, there isn't a, a self-respecting, uh, full-time employed, uh, sports commentator picking a Colts. I ain't seen it yet. The NFL network and NFL network and ESPN all had like 10 to 15, 16 writers all pick, you know, wild card weekend. Like they always do. And uh, yeah. none of them picked the Colts. Not, not they, they just one. don't know. They and, just don't know. And so I think the Colts are going to use that. And Sean McDermott over there with, with Buffalo has been wise not to make a point of it. Or, or you know, you, you don't want to give the Colts any more bulletin material than what they already have. Oh, he did um, make a comment. That, no, I thought I thought he made a comment about. I don't know why I don't know why Frank Reich is acting like they're an underdog. That's what that was his comment today. Like I I know they're using it for bulletin board material, but I don't think they need it. Like I don't think they're he literally yeah. said today, like I don't think that they're an underdog. I think they're on okay. our level. I think they're gonna give us a hell of a game. Oh I, yeah. So record, he's been he's been yeah. really uh Yeah, he's been really uh smart about his word. Yeah, he's not um, at that all he's, he's trying not, to He's help. not trying uh-huh. to give them any kind of... It's not like Juju Smith-Schuster, who today said that, you know, the Browns are the Browns. You know, they're the same, <sighs> same team that they've always been. And they're a bunch of just gray faces. Like, it doesn't matter who they are. They're still the Browns. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so bad, Juju. <laughs> like, what well, are you, you don't doing? Open and, like, that apparently, box, bro. <laughs> apparently, he meant it not, like, as bad as it sounded. But he meant it you know, as, as a playoff of what, uh, Mike Tomlin always says is that, you know, it doesn't matter who they are. They're just a bunch of gray faces on the other side and your opponents are, Yeah. but you, you just, you gotta be smarter than that. Yep. Like you basically, it, no, no, don't get me wrong. Like Cleveland's now missing their coach, their head coach. They haven't been able to practice all week. Quarterback hasn't thrown a football since last week. Um, and so, the likelihood of Cleveland winning this game is pretty small. Right. Um, but that said, you just increased their possible chance to do it by giving them the motivation to really try to pull it out. Like they're, I mean, they were going to try to pull it out anyway, but like you gave them that extra little push that they probably didn't, you, you didn't want them to have. And so, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's interesting NFL players being NFL players. So, oh, I, did you see the uh, video today or not video, the, the short clip interview with Darius Leonard? No. Where he was talking about finding motivation. 
He's done uh, a yeah, long. He's done a longer piece where they go back, talk like about his hometown Jordan. and stuff like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Darius Leonard's like Jordan. Hey, like, that's Mamba mentality. I took that personally. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen though, he Darius tells Leonard's the story. The second best. He, he's a top three linebacker in the NFL. Right. They didn't say I was the top, and I took that personally. You're right. Right. He's like they didn't say best. They yeah. said top three, and top I'm three, and it hurt my feelings. Um, Darius Leonard said, you have to choose how to motivate yourself. And so what he does is he has a list of every linebacker that was chosen ahead of him <laughs> in the draft. And it just so happens. It just so happens. Oh, Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds was drafted yeah. ahead of Darius Leonard. And he took that personally. And he said they don't have to say anything. He doesn't have to play well. I have to play well because that man makes more money than me. And we play the same position. And I was just like, oh, God, that's not good for Buffalo. I I will say that to say I hope the maniac doesn't get more violent when he's hype like that. I just hope it makes him sharper because if that's the case, oh boy, multiple fumbles, probably interceptions. Like he's that kind of player when he's on and like popping. Oh, it's weird. It's like, he just takes the rock from you. That's weird. Um, so yeah, I'm hype for Darius Leonard. I'm happy for T Y Hilton because I feel like this is sort of the twilight of his career in a, in a, in a frame, right? This is just like the ass end of his career, and he's in the playoffs. He's healthy. He's been effective lately. He's got a quarterback that's got his number. He's got an O-line that is protecting, albeit without Anthony Costanzo. Um, but the Colts got some help uh, at left tackle last week. I still haven't figured out how to say that dude's name, but he played real Valdir. well. Valdir played very well last I'm going to use that uh, on Sunday. Um, but, yeah, I – man – the, Colt, the Colts got super lucky with Valdir that he came in and played well. And so the story was with that is that every, every play Quentin Nelson was telling him what he was supposed to do. To do <laughs> he'd only been in camp or he'd only been practiced for two days. That's hilarious. And he did so good. But imagine being like an offensive tackle, like NFL quality offensive tackle. And the guy to your right is Quentin Nelson. He's making you better anyway, right? Oh, like he, for sure. He's yeah. for sure. In addition to telling you your job, he's also like goddamn phenomenal. So he's going to like, hey, man, do that. And you're like, I better because he will rip my head off. Um, but yeah, super, super lucky for the Colts. And like I said, with the things that matter, and the things that here is a weird way to say this because it all matters all the time, but I'll make like a, a first half, a second half statement that like it makes sense when you put it all together. Uh, things that matter in the regular season don't matter in the playoffs. Um, and when I say that, I say that to say you need 17 of 21 starters during the regular season in order to win a game. And the p players that aren't important are wide receivers and running backs, meaning you can still get to the playoffs without your number one wide receiver, without your running back, right? In the playoffs, though, you can't win 
without your running back, without your wide receivers. Defense does not win championships. You have to score touchdowns, and you got to do it the whole game. It's like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. The Colts need to play four quarters. That means you got to put a touchdown on the board all four quarters. And then we, we say that because what we see when we watch film is we see teams start to lighten up in games, let up a little bit when they're ahead. And I just think you don't even play the same in the playoffs. You actually show them the monster you built. And I think, and this is conspiracy theorist, fine, call me crazy. I think the Colts have played the biggest ruse on the NFL this year because they could. They had COVID under control. They knew it wasn't going to affect their franchise. It was going to affect other franchises. And if you look at the number of cases, as it refers to every other team in the NFL, the Colts did very well. Outstanding. So here's here's another thing to consider. Um, kind of going off of that, the reason why you have faith in the Colts organization is because of the players they bring in and because of how the Chris Ballard analyzed the, the fact that he's able to go through and – pick good people it allows mm-hmm. you to have faith that they're going to do the right thing off the mm-hmm. court yep and so if they do the right thing off the court then they're less likely to do like get in trouble like of course covid it you never know like right. for example you know to force buckner caught it um mm-hmm. and so it, he was freaking know. out too because he was like, "Dude, I wore a mask. I stay away from people. I yeah. can't sanitize. Like I'm freaking out." He said it was very difficult for him. Yeah. Um, versus you know a team like the Baltimore Ravens, who most right. of their guys are younger. Like they like to go out. They you know yeah. it's forty seven cases. Yeah. You know, is that how many it was? Yeah. Um, oh, it's all the guys. List. It's a fifty three man roster, guys. <laughs> right. Um, and so if you just think about staff and players for the Ravens and 47 cases of COVID-19, that's horrible. That's like an 85% infection rate for your, for your organization. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. If you um, just don't count the, the ushers but, and the food service people, you know what I mean? Yeah. To go off your, your point, though, on the conspiracy theory, it's something that I, I kind of wondered aloud um, the other day and said, you know, was this all intentional in terms of bringing – Jonathan Taylor along as slowly as they did, because, you know, even after Marlon Max injury, you kind of expected him to get more carries than what he did. Mm-hmm. Y- you had games where, you know, the Baltimore game where he had that fumble in the first or second quarter, and then they sat him for the rest of the game. Yep. And, and I'm sitting there like, look, if you really want him to be your long-term guy, you really need to give him carries. It's once you drop a pass as a wide receiver, you don't never go back to that wide receiver again. Your next throw is to him. Right. Like 90% of the time, your next throw is at him. If it was just a dead, stupid drop. Right. Um, And so that always kind of perplexed me. But if it, it was a matter of, hey, look, we know rookies hit a wall right. at a certain point. We know he hasn't had training camp. This is uh, the first six, seven weeks of the season is effectively his training camp. Right. Where we're just trying to get him some touches, get him, uh, you know, used to NFL speed. You heard him say uh, that there was the story about him talking to, to his dad saying, you know, he was, you know, a little bit down because, you know, or not down, but he 
he was talking to his dad about how fast NFL players were. And he said, you know, up until about, you know, a month ago, six weeks ago, everything finally started to slow down. And so once it started to slow down, you see what happened. And so Jonathan Taylor really has kind of peaked right now at the perfect time for the Colts. And there's part of me that wonders whether that was the entire plan all along. Because you didn't really need him in all those other games. You're able to make it to you're able to make it through most of the season and keep yourself at least in the playoff race and the division race. Once you made the playoffs, awesome. Now you've got this running back that really is rolling. And what are teams going to do? Like, like if Buffalo can't contain him, he could literally go for 250 yards again. Like, and that, that wouldn't necessarily shock me. Um, I honestly think that he's probably going to get over 150 yards between 150, 200 yards. Um, But it makes you wonder all the moves that they've made throughout the season. They haven't really shown blitzes. They have because they, they know that blitzes are effective against Patrick Mahomes and, and mobile quarterbacks, you know, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson was, you know, possibly a guy they might face, you know, Lamar Jackson, the, the AFC has their, their top, some of their top teams have mobile quarterbacks. Right. And so you kind of have to, be able to hold that back and you're the best way to to stymie a top quarterback as Colts fans we all know is to run the ball and keep that quarterback off the field yep make him and cold Josh Allen is no Peyton Manning Peyton Manning still was able to keep the Colts in most of those games right I don't think Josh Allen Josh Allen isn't Peyton Manning nah he's so, uh he's less emotionally ma- mature Right. So he's yeah, he's he's capable. Josh Allen's more likely to get down in a game emotionally than a guy like Rivers or Manning. Right. Because they've got so many years at this level that, hey, man, oh, for three to start a game is not going to derail your entire contest where when you're Josh Allen, man, I'm telling you that kid, that kid is basically. In terms of mentality. He's like Tony Montana right now on on pounds of cocaine. Like he could do anything. He's going to touch earth. You know what I mean? Like he 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 could do whatever he wants. And I just think and it's kind of it almost makes me laugh but smile on my face. It's all going to come crashing down for him this weekend because like I said, DeForest Buckner is a large man and the Colts have several grown-ass men on defense that when they smack you one time it brings your bell and it changes your outlook on life telling you it's gonna happen he's gonna grow up this week in game it's gonna happen he's gonna get his bell rung and then he's it's gonna change his style and then you then you see oh he's a little more conservative whipping that ball around a little more it's causing him to throw shorter passes their offense bogs down Third and long, can't complete that pass when the defense knows you can't run it. You ain't running a draw, dog. You don't got it in you. Like I said, it's just, it's just, I just have a feeling. And I've sat here and told you when we were going to lose games, too. So it's not like I'm Homer, right? I'm just saying. It's it's time. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying Colts are going to the Super Bowl, neither. I'm just saying. This Bills squad, I love I think this is. Franchise. I think they're beatable. They're beatable. Like, it's just, I mean, I, I, they, they, they've been a juggernaut the past 
you know, five weeks of the season. But like you mentioned earlier, they haven't really played anybody um, mm. aside from Miami, who was struggling with COVID. Um, right. You know, they they haven't really played anybody the past five weeks. And yeah, OK, they've been they've been taking care of business when they should. Sure. Um, but so have the but, Colts. They've won seven of eight. Yeah, the Colts aren't aren't a slouch team. They've been playing. They've been in playoff mode for the past eight weeks of the season. Agree. And so, you know, I think the Colts are are. I I honestly think the Colts are one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC because of the things that they do well and the fact that everyone is overlooking them. Oh yeah. Because they That's can a... run the ball and they 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 can run the ball effectively. Their offensive lines figured it out. They don't need to rely on Philip Rivers, and they don't have to rely on Valdier to keep any rusher away from Rivers right now. They can just run the ball down people's throats, and they can stop the run and get pressure on the quarterback with their front four. And if they need to, they can blitz and blitz the crap out of a quarterback. Yeah, and that's the the unique instances of pressure are what I think is just going to be the nail in the coffin um, because the Colts can bring it. They can bring it. They, they're capable of bringing a natural pass rush. They have disruptive middle rushers, outside rushers. And then when it comes to blitzers, like Kenny Moore, Darius Leonard, Okariki, like these, that's not one person that's doing all of the blitzing. It's, it's stealthy. And again, and again, this puts a big dumb smile on my face. The Colts last week, I feel like I saw a little different attitude out of them on offense. Uh, recently on defense, I've seen a little different attitude on defense. And now going to this game, I have this feeling. You're just going to you're going to watch the Colts on Saturday at one o'clock till about four ten, uh, and you're gonna remember that I said this feels a little different, and that's because I think when you get to the end of the season and you have made it to the playoffs, you, now your season begins, and you get to go back and look at all the success that you had and you have a staff of people whose entire lives revolve around data and then what you get to craft for this playoff is the perfect game plan and the person that you have at the helm is a person that did the the job that you right he's he's a quarterback he's not a guy that played division three football and was an assistant coach at his co- you know, he, he coached at his college when he graduated and he worked his way up in staff and then no, no, no. he played quarterback in the NFL and he gets to create the master game plan to go back to a team he played for, right? Like this just has that sleep on us, please. Storyline going for it, right? They'll never see you coming. They'll yeah. just talk a lot of smack like to your journalists. blowing smoke yeah. at, at blowing up, you know, Buffalo's, you know, just 
sucking up to them constantly. Oh yeah. And that's the that's the big thing. It is they are just going through and just overhyping them right now. And so yeah, I, I just think it's interesting. One thing I want to get on before we wrap this up when you pick them is yeah. the fact that Deshaun Watson, there's reports that he is very unhappy with the Houston, Texas organization mm-hmm. um, because they did not even consider, they didn't even put in a request for Eric Bieniemy, which is who uh, Deshaun Watson wanted them to pick as the head coach. And they didn't even consult with him regarding the general manager. Now, you know, he's a player. No, it's worse. Yeah. It's worse. It's worse. Hold on, you're missing part of the story. Okay, what am I missing too? He was in a he was in a meeting right after the season ended where he went to them and told them he was unhappy, and they promised him that we're going to turn this ship around. We're going to hire a GM and a new head coach and da 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 da, and you're going to have say and you're going to be involved oh, be in that process. And then Ooh. they next day, brother. They went out and hired a GM and didn't even contact Deshaun Watson. He found out about it on social on the freaking. Twitter. So, so Houston is doing this all wrong with the franchise quarterback. Now, under the the collective bargaining agreement with the NFL, there's he cannot hold out um, for next season, but he can get injured um, mm-hmm. if he cho- so chooses, um, and so. Every now and then, so, my knee hurts. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, man, I just don't know what's going on. There's no structural damage. It's just really tight right through here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's rumors that he wants out, that he might demand a trade. If that happens, the Colts should a thousand percent throw whatever draft picks Houston wants at them. Right. The problem is that they are interdivision, so there's about no way in Hades that that the Texans would trade Deshaun Watson to the Colts. Um, there is one way that the Colts could potentially get Deshaun Watson. It's something that I talked with Jared before uh, the podcast. And we just kind of, I was trying to hash it out in my head before I brought it up to you yeah. guys. Uh, because every once in a while, I actually do that and don't just fly blind um, <laughs> into this. So the one only way that I could see this actually happening for the Colts is if there was another team involved and the way that it would go down is the other team would trade for Deshaun Watson. They give up, you know, whatever they're giving up. And then the Colts would go to that team and give them one more pick than what they gave up as you know compensation. And so say a team like, and it'd have to be probably an NFC team uh, because AFC teams aren't going to want to help the Colts in that situation. So you're looking at probably an NFC team, probably one with, with ties to the Colts organization, you know, or, or organization or Chris Ballard at this point, everybody really kind of knows Chris Ballard. So I'm not sure there's anybody out there, but, and it, you've got to be a team that doesn't have a long-term quarterback because otherwise the Texans would be like, Hmm, Seattle Seahawks. Why are you trading us? You know, three first round picks for Russell. Like when you have Russell Wilson, we don't understand. Um, and so it's got to be a team that has a connection to the Colts. You know, for example, a San Francisco 49ers mm. is one that makes a lot of sense. Um, one that I didn't think of before 
talking this out right now live on this podcast. Um, you know, a Philadelphia Eagles makes a lot of sense. A Carolina Panthers, if they are they decide to go ahead and hire Ed Dodds, makes a lot of sense. Um, and so if the Colts are able to do that, say, you know, it's going to take probably three first round picks to get Deshaun Watson, um, press maybe a second. So if that happens and they do trade him out of the division and, he, you know, say he get, he only costs two first round picks and two second round picks. If I'm the Colts, what I do is I offer three first round picks or two first round picks and three second round picks or two first round picks, two second round picks and a third round pick and try to get them, get one more. And if that's not going to do it, then I'm willing to give up three first round picks and two second round picks mm-hmm. to get Deshaun Watson because for, for two reasons, Deshaun Watson is a top three quarterback in the NFL, top two, top three quarterback in or top three to top five quarterback in the NFL. If you look at his numbers in this season, he is, the leader in passing yards. He is a leader in total offense. He's second in QBR. He had 33 touchdowns on the season and only had seven interceptions. And that's all numbers that I think I, I think I'm right on those. Those are stuff that I looked at earlier, but um, so I'm kind of pulling them off the top of my head right now, but um, his QBR, the only, per, the only player he was behind Aaron Rodgers, who had a 121. I think Deshaun Watson was like a 112. And then Patrick Mahomes was in third. And so Deshaun Watson is just such a difference maker as a player um, that with this Colts team, with the players that he's got around him, with a viable offensive line, with a viable running back, with quality wide receivers in Michael Pittman and Zach Paschal. And you, you've got now – you know, Paris Campbell, if he can come back healthy, T.Y. Hilton for a couple more years, you, you're able to make the playoffs and potentially win for five years, six years, 10 years. Sean Watson's what, like 25 years old? Is he 25 or 26? Yeah, he's super young. I'm pretty sure. And so you've got 15 years, potentially. <laughs> he's 25 of, years old. Of just elite quarterback play. And if you're only going to give up three first round picks for that, then you do that in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. We were talking, we were talking about where I was like five, like, yeah, you aren't picking in the top 20 in the next five years, as long as he's healthy. So like, you don't really care about those picks because they're, they're they're basically a second round pick. You know, we talked, we've been talking about this. this is something we've talked about for two years now. Once you get to about pick 20, 15, 20, 15, 17, every year, that's there, a second round 12, grade. 12 to 15 players every year. And Chris Ballard talks about this, that have first round grades for him. Yeah. That's why in, you know, two of the last three years, three, you know, however many times he's traded back right. in the first round, traded out of the first round. You know, because you because you'd rather have the bodies and he also needed to replace players because he was turning over the roster. So there's a myriad of reasons. Um, but but you also yeah. look at this and you say, OK, well, uh, again, we're going down a rabbit hole here. We understand that the likelihood yeah. of this happening is pretty slim, but it is basically the only way that this happens for the Colts. And the reason why I say the 49ers make a lot of sense as that that middle trade team is because they already have a relationship with the Colts. They've got a quarterback controversy there with Jimmy G that may end up 
not playing it panning out for them giving them two picks in the first round for the next three years is something that their gm john lynch would love because right. it gives them an opportunity to if they fall in love with the quarterback this draft and next draft and another draft, they will trade up to get them. And they've got the ammunition to do it without bankrupting their future. And so that's why I would say that this would give them an opportunity to really, you know, make a, make a splash for them and rebuild that team with young, you know, cheap talent. The Colts can take on this contract. You know, the Colts can look into, you know, filling out the roster with some veteran players. The Colts can sign their own, and the other part about this, the why it makes so much sense, is not just getting Deshaun Watson, but because the accuracy of Chris Ballard in the draft, in the fact that most of the time his second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round draft picks pan out. It's a, it's an incredible hit rate. Yeah, okay, that first year he had, you know, some misses with Willie Cooker and Quincy Wilson, but he had some pretty good hits in that right. draft too. <laughs> um, you know, he, you know, the, the Ben Banigou pick two years ago, it pass rushers are notoriously slow. The defensive end position is pretty crowded right now. Rock Yassine has showed promise, but he still needs to work on technique, mm -hmm. but you see the elite ability. The fact that he was able to just completely fake out Aaron Rodgers and get an interception this year, you see games where he is crushing it. And that's the thing is, you don't hear his name for the entire game because he's playing well. Right. Like that's, that's that's a mistake people make is they discount players they never hear about. And that's why I'm trying to think who the Colts got stiffed on all pro. I, I want to say it was DeForest Buckner, but the Buckner reason year, yeah. the reason the reason well, that is And Darius is Leonard two years ago. They don't they don't say their name because they're doing their job. They're effective, right? And eventually they get their splash play, which is like a sack or a sack fumble or whatever. But yeah, um, Colt, that, 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 in my opinion, that unless you're the quarterback of the Colts, they're sleeping on the rest of the squad. Um, and I think, I think it's because with the exception, I would forget his name too, dude from Good Morning Football. Who has Kyle Brandt? Kyle Brandt. Uh, he's the only media member that loves people that run the football, other than yeah. um, Brian Baldinger. Um, yeah. So you basically have two people in media that love running the football, and I think everyone else thinks the Colts are boring to watch because they play good defense. Their special teams unit's not screwed up, and then their offense gets on the field and milks the clock for nine minutes, scores a tutter on a one yard sneak by their backup quarterback. And then the guys in the booth are just like, Jesus, <laughs> like well, and, that's and the whole game. That, <laughs> they're able to do that. And they, like Frank Reich will go for it on fourth down yeah. on to keep like, the ball two two yards or less. He's yeah. going for it. And, and it's it, 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 like, seriously, if it's, if it's, his 45 yard line and in to the, to the opponent's end zone, it is, he is going for it on fourth down. If it's within like two or three yards, if it's within one yard, he's definitely going for it. 
but he has so much faith in that offensive line that he's like, look, we can get it. And, and as a player, you love that, that a coach has that kind of faith in you. Um, so yeah, that's, that was my, my one, you know, random conspiracy theory put on my tinfoil hat. If the Colts ever were to be able to get and acquire Deshaun Watson, that would be the only way that they would be able to do it is to work out a trade with another team in advance, have them trade for it. And then the Colts trade them and get, have them recoup their picks plus something, you know, as a, as a middleman sweetener deal for the, for the team that did that. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be super shocked if Chris Ballard were able to pull that off. The thing that, you know, in, in other sports, there is a limit between the time that a player can be traded after they've been traded. Um, so I know like the NBA sometimes has that where you, you have to have a player for like six months after they've been traded in the offseason. There's like a whole bunch of rules to that. I don't think the NFL has those rules. I think once a player is traded to an NFL team, they can be immediately traded or cut or whatever. Um, you see it happen all the time um, with with guys that are traded and they end up not working out. So they're cut, you know, in, within training camp pretty quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would love to see that happen, obviously, as a Colts fan, to be able to put a quarterback like Deshaun Watson in. Then to give him the opportunity to have a revenge two times a year against the Houston Texans, who just did him wrong, it would just... I love to cause pain and agony on my enemies in football. <laughs> it's a little sadistic, but that's okay. Just fine. So let's talk about these last six games. Then I got something I kind of want to run us out the door about and get us out of here, brother. All right. Sounds like plan. All right. So we're going to skip the Colts. We'll save them for last. At 4.40 on Saturday, 4.40 Eastern Time, the L.A. Rams play at the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle is a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. Who do you think wins that game? I'm going to go with Seattle. I just feel like that I don't see the Rams without – is Jared Goff? I don't think he's playing. Uh, he He should play. But but he just had thumb surgery. He just had surgery on his thumb and his throwing hand, so Ooh. I don't yeah, care. I'm go <laughs> like I'm yeah. just like Seahawks. I'm go Seahawks. Um, at eight fifteen on Saturday Eastern Time, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play at the Washington Football Team. Tampa Bay is an eight-point road favorite. Who do you think wins this game? I think it's going to be the Bucs, but I think it's going to be closer than, than people realize because I believe the Washington football team is scheduled to potentially get Alex Smith back. Mm-hmm. And they are something like four and two or five and one with Alex Smith as a starting quarterback this season. Really? Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, good for him. And man. so God. I wouldn't be shocked if this would be my upset of the week if I were or when, aside from, you know, the Colts game, but like a surprise, surprise upset. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked to see the Washington football team pull out the upset here. I'm going to pick the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I I could see this being closer than a lot of people think. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with both feet. Um, I yeah, think that Tampa Bay is overrated. I think Tampa Bay is overrated. That's fair. And and 
Washington has had an up and down season and somehow made it to the playoffs. But here's what I'll tell you. There are groups of players in the NFL that if they're healthy and they play, their team wins. And it's just like you brought up Alex Smith. I'm going to bring up Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin, who have been healthy and dangerous all year long. And if Alex Smith comes back, and I get it, it they're they're at home. They're you know their records worse. You got Tom Brady plus all these names. They're just names against just names, but like passion and fire, like a huge thing. And Tom Brady's played like a beached whale lately. So. If Alex Smith comes back, that team is just, I'm telling you, Ron Rivera plus a healthy Alex Smith plus McLaurin and Gibson is just not what you want to see if you're the Bucks and Mike Evans has been banged up, right? Their run game's shaky with Ronald Jones just coming back from injury with Fournette being kind of up and down. Like I said, Tom Brady not playing. Are you talking about Fournette's weight or him? I'm just joking. Yeah, you, that's a thing too. But like I said, I I, I think uh, that people have rose-colored glasses on when they look at certain teams in the NFL, and they look at teams like the Bucks, and they see all these names on these jerseys. Yeah, they see like, Brady, and they're, and like, they're oh, like, oh, they're gonna mm, win. Yeah. And I see that if you cannot focus on one player for Washington and beat them. That's what I'm saying. With the Bills, if you take away Stephon Diggs and you just make sure Josh Allen doesn't get a lot of room out of the pocket to run with the ball, you beat that team because you just had to eliminate like one effective player. But with a team with a team like Washington, it's like, hey, those are two elite athletes that have played very well all year. They could be getting back their signal caller at the right time. That's a dangerous concoction at home. That's a lot of like good things. Now I get it. It could totally blow up in my face and bucks just roll over them on the road, which is probably far, far more likely given the eight point spread. But like, it's the biggest spread of the game, uh, biggest spread of the day or the weekend. No. Bears saints is 10. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that we're saying the same effective thing, that it's going to be closer than you think, and then I think the Bucks are overrated, and Mike Evans ain't it there. And he's, to I would me, love to see Washington pull it off and knock Brady out the first time. Have the Patriots especially have after the week that he had. they had. Especially yeah. after the week DC had. Yeah. Um, it would be a big, big thing for them to get a big win uh, on Saturday night. And then on Sunday... At 105, the Baltimore Ravens play at the Tennessee Titans. Baltimore is a three and a half point road favorite, brother. Who do you think wins this game? Baltimore. I just don't think that the Titans, the Titans have gotten lucky so much at the end of the season. They should have lost this past week. They should have ended the season 10 and six. They should have been nine and seven, but they've gotten lucky. Uh, a couple times. Um, and so I'm going to go with Baltimore because I think they've got a better defense. They're going to be able to shut down Derrick Henry. Um, <laughs> and I don't think Brian Tannehill is really that good. If you actually like, and like Baltimore has good quarter corners. So like, they're going to be able to at least keep a lid on AJ Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, 
all you have to do for for Tennessee really is you have to stop Henry and you have to have discipline on defense from your linebackers and your safeties to catch Ryan Tannehill when he tries to do that stupid sneak out and he does that little finger roll move after he scores his touchdowns because everybody's gone and, and dove trying to take out Derrick Henry. And so he sneaks around. This is like the little kid that like does like plays right field the entire game, doesn't get any balls hit his way and then celebrates like he just hit a home run when he scores or like he walks or you know, he he doesn't hit the ball. He walks to first base, runs around to third, and then is able to score and just celebrates like he just, you know, nailed a home run. And you're like, dude. There was nobody, two pass balls. Res- like, what are you talking Nobody about? respects you, and that's why they're not looking to you. And right. so if you, you have to play, like, gap discipline, though, and you have to be disciplined on defense when you play the Titans because – they love to do that dive with Derrick Henry, especially within the five yard line. Um, And I just don't, I don't have a lot of faith in Tennessee's defense to be able to stop Baltimore's offense in their running game. When uh, the spread is less than about five or six points in my eyes, it comes down to mobility at the quarterback position because both teams are going to try to create pressure to throw quarterbacks off their passing game. And I agree with you that I think Baltimore has better corners, but Baltimore also has Lamar friggin' Jackson. And pressure creates um, diamonds. And I think Lamar Jackson's diamond is him burning you for pressuring him. And that's why Baltimore wins this week, because I think Derrick Henry still gets his. I just think... Lamar Jackson gets his too, and his is something like five scoring drives. And I don't think Tennessee is that kind of squad. Now, say that to say, there's a very real chance <laughs> Derrick Henry does Derrick Henry things, and you don't get the outcome you wanted. I just don't yeah. think Baltimore's the team to be saying that about. Right? It would be different if it were Buffalo, for example. I would be like, oh, Baltimore's gonna run all over Buffalo, right? Yeah. Also, as a reminder, Tennessee was a team that knocked Baltimore out, you know, last year, a couple of years back. So there's a, a revenge factor for Baltimore as well. But Tennessee and their defensive schemes have been able to shut down Lamar Jackson in the past. So it, it could go either way. I'm going to pick Baltimore um, because I just think Tennessee as a fan base is trash. <laughs> true and (laughs) and then oh man we are gonna get some comments and then at 440 on sunday eastern time the chicago bears play at the new orleans saints and new orleans is a 10 point home favorite who do you think wins? the saints it's the saints this is not this is not close like i honestly think the washington football team is a better team than the bears I um, percent agree, and I would actually like to watch that game. Yeah. So I would take the Saints here. I don't think there's yeah. a lot we should discuss. Big thing here for me in picking the outcome is traditionally, oh, this is a Saints home game. They're going to win. But they would have lost this game on the road and got hosed on a call. But the fact that they're at home, that ain't going to happen. So they're going to win. And then Sunday night, 815 Eastern, 
the Cleveland Browns are in the playoffs playing at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh is a six-point home favorite. Cleveland's had that COVID issue all week. Who do you think wins this game? Um, I'm kind of torn on this. Same. Uh, I don't like the spread. Yeah, I feel like, like my gut says, if if Stefanski wasn't sick, if Stefanski and um, Natonio weren't out in this game, because uh, Cleveland's have their you know Pro Bowl three-time Pro Bowl guard is out uh, because yeah. of a positive COVID test, so is their head coach, and so for me that changes it, and it makes me want to lean Steelers. Um, but I really hope the Browns pull it out. Same. Um, we talk about fan bases we like all the time outside of the Colts. Um, and we talked today about how, hey, I love the Buffalo Bills fan base. You know, hate your team <laughs> this week. Um, but every other week they put a smile on my face because they beat teams I don't like, like the Patriots. Um, when it comes to the Browns, I'm first of all born in Ohio. And never rooted for an Ohio team. No Bengals, no Browns. That wasn't me. I was a Chicago and Indy kid. However, comma, being from Ohio, you have perspective of what it's like uh, to root for teams, the underdogs. To the, suffer. To suffer as a fan, right? Like you have a not concept of it because it's right next door. Um, the. There are a lot of Cleveland fans that listen to our podcast too that are my friends and they know how I feel that football is a team building thing. One player does not a team make. Um, I think the Browns win this game emotionally um, because they're sort of forced to make it happen. Whereas the Steelers, uh, it feels more like a train, right? It's just going to happen except Ben Roethlisberger is washed. That's that's why I think Cleveland wins this game. I think Baker Mayfield has a live arm and can make things happen. And I don't believe that about Big Ben anymore. He has to he has to have a scheme in place in order for him to be successful. And there's just enough nastiness coming from Cleveland on defense. Uh, that I think it, it it makes Big Ben very uncomfortable. And again, on offense, I'm with you. I think there's a real good chance Cleveland struggles on offense without their Pro Bowl guard, without their head coach. But again, when you get in the game, whew, Cleveland's going to run that ball well, got great receivers, got a smart little quarterback, right? Um, but again, you got to play the game, so... I see uh, a split here, or were we both picking the Browns? Oh, you said you hope the Browns win, and I said, yeah, I actually think they will. Because I, yeah, think, it, I it's think it's going requ- to require, gonna require win, them but to I play. Hope the Browns win. Okay, and then of course save the best for last, brother. On Saturday at 1:05, the Indianapolis Colts play at the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo is a six-point home favorite, and that's disrespectful as hell. Who do you think wins that game? I believe that the Colts are going to be able to run the ball and control the clock, and they're going to be make some timely turnovers on defense mm-hmm. and put some pressure on Josh Allen. I think the Colts are going to pull this out. 
um, you know, now that we talk about it a little bit further, um, I think the Colts are going to win. I'm going to go 31, 27. Okay. Um, and that the defense is going to come up with a big play late. Ooh, defense comes up with a big play late. Okay. I agree that I believe the Colts uh, will win this game. And similarly, I believe the Colts will run the ball effectively on offense. They'll force turnovers on defense. Um, And ultimately, the Colts are just going to make a man miss. And when you're not very good against the run, what this really tells me is once they get to the second level on you, you're not good tacklers. So that's what the data is telling us. They have a lot of missed tackles. They're not good against the run. Do math in your head. Where, where do those tackles happen? Second level. Um, so that bodes well for Colts ball carriers, not necessarily backs. And so you say defense makes a big play late. And I'll say, I think Naheem Hines makes someone miss and you, and we stand up at the same time and go, are you freaking kidding me? Game over. And that's how the Colts advance. And then uh, to close us out, uh, I don't know that I've done something like this before, but I had a little bit of an epiphany, um, and I'm blaming the Colts and the Pacers flatly for it, um, where I watch things so intently and closely that you can find holes. And then you listen to post-game press conferences, and the coach admits what I felt during the game happened and says it's something that I need to work on as a coach and as an org, and a, and a, it, you know it needs to be in our game plan and a lot of it. And, and to be pointed about it, Frank Reich said uh, there have been games where we didn't get the ball to Jonathan Taylor and it cost us. And uh, fans have, you know, the media has chided uh, Frank Reich for being just weird sometimes. And I think a lot of that has to do with like growing into the role. Um, and then when I watch the Pacers, and I get that's a little off the beaten path, but when I watch the Pacers, I'm a I live in Indiana. I'm an Indiana professional sports fan because I got lots of friends and family and people listen to my podcast that are making money based on the success of these teams. And I'm not talking about gamblers. I'm talking about your service industry workers, your people that work at these facilities, right? These are people that I know and care about. Um, Rex uh, Bjorkgren, uh, for the record, the Pacers' new head coach that has absolutely lit this team on fire. They don't even look like the same team, and it's the same players. Um, And I watched him have a a press conference last week, and he talked about how, as a coach, you have an idea of what you want to do, but then when the bullets start flying, things change. And immediately it stopped me. And it made me think about my immediate future, especially uh, my wife just got the COVID vaccine, um, her first round, the Moderna. And it really made me think about if uh, everybody gets this vaccine and Americans are so ignorant that they're going to force society to sort of open back up and things to sort of attempt to return to normal. And I say that through purse slips, I'm not happy that I'm, I'm I'm saying it out loud, but I believe it to be true. I think a lot of people will just get the vaccine and, and say, I, I want to go to the water park, man. You know what I mean? Um, with that in mind, 
I have to think about how can I help given what's happened in the United States in the last four years um, and ultimately uh, for what reason. I've never told this. I don't think I've told this story before, but I feel like I got to get it out. Otherwise, I just can keep thinking about it. Okay, brother. Um, I was in the Marine Corps Infantry. Um, I went to Purdue out of high school, eight straight semesters. The economy tanked. I couldn't find a good job. Um, I didn't want to sell cars, guys. I lost 100 pounds in less than 90 days and joined my Marine Corps. And I loved, love the Marine Corps. When I came home, I realized, having like been in the Marine Corps, that you get put into stressful situations, kind of testing your mettle. And in the Marine Corps, they teach you things, uh, a little acronym, JJ did tie buckle, right? Um, but a couple of the things that you're sort of taught in the Marine Corps is bearing. And you're taught about having tact and initiative and understanding and courage and knowledge and leadership. And you know what I mean? There's, it's an acronym. I'm basically telling you, you know, justice, judgment, decisiveness, integrity, duty, you know what I mean? I'll just, but what, as it applies to coaching, I think that even great coaches are missing qualities I have in that I kind of like being in the line of fire. And I know it sounds like brazen, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is I kind of like having pressure on me. I perform better when I feel like there's a win or loss coming because of this. And if they're going to force kids to go back to school, what were we dealing with before COVID? School shootings. First, I thought, well, maybe I'll go and be uh, unarmed security in a high school and just rove and maybe I can just dissuade a school shooter one time and I will feel like no matter what happens in the future, I have lived a full life and I saved kids' lives and kept a school shooting from happening. And then ultimately I realized that I'm stupid and I'm old and that's not a really good goal to have. Uh, you got to have better goals than that. Um, and I realized I've already got a college degree. So I'm not very far from being able to be a teacher. But why do you want to be a teacher? They don't get paid very well. They get treated horribly. They got to pay out of their pocket to keep the kids interested. Um, and I wanted to be a teacher because I want to be a coach. But I'm also a person I can't just have normal people goals. I have to have like a huge reason why I'm doing something. And the goal has to be dumb. And then I'll make it happen because the expectation is so high and, and the bar is so high that if you don't do it, you will feel horrible forever. So I want to tell you my why. And I'm going to try to keep it snappy, and I'm sorry we're, we're dragging on here. When I was in the Marine Corps, I met a guy named R.J. Rady from Tampa Bay. And <clears throat> R.J. had gotten in trouble uh, dealing uh, cocaine uh, home from college one summer and his option was prison or the Marine Corps. And when I met him, um, he's a chain smoker. We liked to drink and chase women and had a good time together for the couple years we were together. And when I say together, we were battle buddies before they had battle buddies in the Marine Corps. Um, long story short, I played football, um, 
while I was in the Marine Corps and I got hurt playing football. I dislocated my shoulder and I was an integral part of my unit and we were in a workup for a deployment. So in addition to playing football, um, I also uh, went through an entire workup for a deployment with a dislocated shoulder driving a Humvee with one arm. And I actually went on that deployment. I got on that boat. I was on that boat for nine days on the 26th Mew on the USS Bataan. Um, and then they sent a bunch of us back. And they sent myself back and they sent RJ back. We lived in the same room because RJ had gotten hurt on a hump right before we got on that boat to do what are called shipboarding exercises. So it's like a pre-deployment deployment where you just basically go out to sea for nine days, trolley around and come back. And then you take convalescent, you take pre-deployment leave, and then you go on your actual deployment. So always make sure I tell the people I'm not no war hero. I'm not sitting here telling you about Iraq or Afghanistan because that's not what happened to me. Um, I got very lucky or unlucky, kind of depending on whether or not you're a warmonger. So what ended up happening is RJ had gotten hurt, and he was a college sprinter. And he went to, I believe, South Carolina State and still holds a hurdles record. Uh, Richard Joseph Rady um, at uh, South Carolina State. And he's a white boy. Um, hell, hell of an athlete, though. And he blew out his knee and had to have his knee replaced at like 24, 25 years old. So you can imagine what that does to your psyche as a human being when your greatest asset gets taken from you, right? You're a wide receiver, you can imagine. RJ and I got to go on convalescent leave, which means after you have a major surgery, the military will let you go home to your family to recover. You have to do a bunch, jump through a bunch of hoops, so it's not like it was fun. I had to go to physical therapy every day. Um, and again, long story short, RJ came back to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, before I did, uh, about, about a week. I think I came back on April 19th. And RJ died at a party off base. And I'm getting emotional. I'm trying to hold it together. RJ died at a party off base on April 12th, 2007. And he basically passed out at someone's house having just drank a bunch. And he was on a bunch of medications because he had just had surgery. So I can imagine he was already in trouble. And um, for about 13 years, I thought that RJ killed himself by using cocaine in addition to drinking and uh, being on prescription drugs. So imagine carrying that around, right? I ain't no war hero and my battle I let my battle buddy die, right? And then <clears throat> last year, last summer, um well let me preface that. RJ didn't kill himself. I kind of knew it in the back of my mind, but I didn't know what to do because I had he had just met his wife and I was around them two people and I get it, it was courting and I get it, I'm emotional. But I, those two people's hearts were on fire for each other, and I'm sorry. I don't believe that you kill yourself when you've met that person. And um, they had gotten married. Um, she had sent her kids to live with her grandparents in Florida so that um, her beginning of her relationship, that first couple months after you get married, they could do normal married couple things and let the kids go spend some summertime with their parents. And RJ died at a party while she was at work. Um, and the host of the party, keep in mind all this time, I thought RJ, RJ uh, did this himself last summer 
Paola hit me hit me up and asked me how I was doing and we kind of go back and forth about what we're going on in our lives and she tells she sent me a picture of a Facebook message that she'd sent someone and she asked me hey will you look at this picture and tell me if you can recognize this woman and of course I said you know she looks just like the little ratty strippers that work at the driftwood and I couldn't tell you that girl's name, but yeah, it looks like someone I may have known. And she said, uh, that's the girl that killed RJ. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, uh, so I saw a picture of this girl at the party, and I could see RJ in the background on the night he died. So I messaged her and said, do you know RJ Rady? And she said, yeah, he's the guy that died at our party, and we tried to drop him off at the gate to Camp Lejeune, and they wouldn't accept him because he didn't have his wallet on him. So we dumped his body and then called the police, had the police come out, and the police took the body onto the base, and he had died. Um, he died uh, at this girl's admission, and I, I don't know her name uh, yet. Um, I mean, I could pull my phone out and look it up, but um, – this girl admitted to Paola that RJ passed out at their house and he was very difficult to wake up. And he's a big boy, 6'2", probably 225. Uh, so a bigger guy and difficult to wake up when he's really drunk. And she put cocaine in his gums. And yeah, because he was on prescription drugs and he was drunk, he had a heart. His heart exploded. Um, so I don't know about anybody else, but that's murder. Um, she admitted it to Paola. And I called Jacksonville uh, Police Department, Onslow County Sheriff's Department in North Carolina. And it's not because I want RJ's family to get his SGLI. Um, it's because I didn't get to go to his funeral. The Marine Corps wouldn't let me because they said RJ killed himself taking cocaine. And I have applied for PTSD benefits to the VA and been denied because I'm not a war hero. And I think that's bullshit. I think I've spent a decade plus being miserable because I thought I let my battle buddy die and it turns out that he was murdered and no one will help me. And I think it's because I'm a nobody. I think it's because I haven't achieved enough. So I'm putting my foot down and I'm saying I ain't killing myself. I ain't killing nobody. I'm doing the grandest thing I can do. And I'm going to be an NFL and NBA head coach at the same time. And I'm going to win titles. And ain't nobody going to stop me because my idols are Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. And if them boys can play two sports professionally, then goddammit, I can coach two sports professionally. And I'm going to make it happen. But I believe in a process. I'm a process-oriented human and a task-oriented human, and I believe that in order to coach at those levels, you have to teach, you have to give of yourself before you can have those sorts of jobs and platforms, which is what I want. I want the platform so I can get, so I can write RJ's name, and I believe I need it. And it's not for money. It's not so I can put myself on that pedestal and talk about myself. It's so that I can clear my friend's name. But it's also because I don't have the same sort of ego that I feel from coaches when I hear them talk. And it's with that I tell you that I'm going back to school. I have applied I'm either going to Ball State or IUPUI. I'm just all going to come down to the money. I have less than a year left to get a degree, and I don't even need it. In the state of Indiana, according to the internet, 
you got to be a teacher to be a head coach. Turns out I got friends that are teachers and that's not true. You're just way less likely to get the job if you're not a full-time teacher and schools will absolutely hire a, a lesser coach if he's a teacher and I am a lesser coach because I don't have experience. And then I also think I need to get experience coaching. I put it out into the ether. I put my dreams on blast and said, this is my, this is what I intend to do. And within about five minutes, a guy that I used to work with for years, his name is Eric Anderson. He hit me up and said, come be our quarterback coach uh, for the Indiana Cutters. So I had my first coaches meeting last night for about three hours uh, from about 10 to about, well, I lied, <laughs> 10, 15 to about 2.30. So it's about four hours and 15 minutes where Eric and I sat, went through their playbook and nomenclature to figure out what kind of offense they're running. And frankly, they're a lot like the Colts. Um, run a zone blocking power scheme, have really good running backs and talented wide receivers that they try to get open in space. They have pretty good offensive line and their defense plays good games. Eric's been to the championship game or the game before the championship game each of the last two seasons, but he hasn't been over the hump since 2013. So it's been a while since he's been a league champion. This is just an adult recreational football league called the Indiana Cutters. And the reason I'm bringing this to my podcast community and telling my co-host is that um, you're never done growing as a team. So we need people, adults, 18 to 40 is kind of the age range we're in. Uh, if you live in Indiana and you've managed to stay in shape or m even played a college football or high school football or rec football, and you'd like to play for someone whose podcast you listen to, whose dream is to be an NFL and NBA head coach. Um, this Sunday at 55 West Tibbs on the southwest side of Indianapolis, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna meet another uh, a group of people. Um, we're gonna be socially distant. I'll be wearing a mask. I'll be staying the hell away from everybody. Um, we're gonna try to get together and. Uh, do some seven on seven stuff like that with some drills and um, obviously I'm not saying like if you want to come watch right that's dangerous with COVID um, but yeah you, you always need players and, and if you think it's hard to manage an NFL team or, an, or a college football team it's super hard to manage a rec team in the middle of a pandemic so that's part of the reason I'm bringing it to, to a large audience is saying you know we probably don't need thousands of players that would be ridiculous but i'm sure we could dredge up a few right that are willing to dust off the cleats it costs money to play uh from what i gather it's a couple hundred bucks a year to do it but the good news is it doesn't have to happen tomorrow so again reason i'm putting this out there is because the games don't actually count until june so we have like six months to get our act together We'll only practice on Thursdays. Games are on Saturdays. We'll have a couple full scrimmages uh, against other semi-pro football teams leading up to our regular season. So we'll have two, probably two full scrimmages, eight regular season games, and then it's a three wins to win it all tournament at the end of the year. So that's not that's not a terrible amount of football. That's 13 games. Um, plus, we'll start practicing every week and then uh if you play quarterback or wide receiver i'm the quarterback's coach and i'm gonna and 
from what I understand, the quarterbacks and the wide receivers all live in Indianapolis. Um, the team's based out of Bloomington. They play Bloomington, Indy, Martinsville as their home. Martinsville is technically their home field. Um, but that's because of the agreements that they have. So the other reason to bring this to my audience, and I'm sorry for keeping us so long. Um, not only do we need uh, some players, some depth would be fantastic. Um, if you have an interest in coaching, it would be nice to have some some hardcore football fans that you you know where I'm at. You know I'm an offensive-minded guy, uh, and that the defense is being coached by a player, which we all know is not what you want. You want coaches to coach. You want players to play. It's just a football thing. It's just a sports thing. Um, so not only – but we need sponsors. Um, it costs money to host football games, and so we'll get to host – uh, depending on our record, we could host three big tournament games if we're undefeated, which we intend to be. Um, so from my perspective, um, and this this is something potentially worth investing in, because um, if you look at Valdir and the fact that the guy was basically retired and the Colts had an emergency and needed a guy to fill in a spot, if I can get this gaggle of folks that have been playing together for a few years in a little better shape, doing a little bit of thing, and then you start winning a bunch, you get eyeballs on you, which helps my career. But most importantly, it helps any of these kids that come, or guys, men that come play for me, potentially get them an opportunity. And that's what I'm really about is wouldn't it be great to go into an adult recreational football league and potentially pull, pluck a guy and he gets to go play at the next level. That would be awesome. And for the record, most of the time when we talk about um, adult rec football, you're talking about guys that didn't get to play, and it's not that way. We have uh, three receivers that played Division two or better football, and I'm talking like I'll have to get the exact colleges, but I'm saying like two D1 programs and then I think Tulane. Um, so these kids, these these skill position players that we have are outstanding. And when you add me to the mix and I clean them up a little bit and then they do outstanding things, I think there's opportunities for them still left because they're young enough and in shape enough. So the reason I'm telling you all this is we have a budget of about $10,000. They have five veteran players that are contributing $500 each to the program, meaning we only need about $7,500. My request is not $7,500. That's crazy. I'm not asking anyone for money. What I need is information. The rules set for this league is NFL rules, meaning I am allowed to communicate with the quarterback via an electronic device until 15 seconds left on a play clock. And I intend to do so, and we would be the only team that does so in the whole league. And it's not shady, it's the rules. So I need to find the technology, and then I need to raise the money to make it happen. And we need to raise money uh, to host. It's going to cost about 10K. And the reason I bring it to the podcast is because of the ears that will listen. If you're interested, just reach out. And I don't know what to do with your money, so don't throw money at me. I don't know what to do with it yet. But I'm telling you that I'm going to need it. Um, 
like I said, home games are played at Martinsville High School. Practices are Bloomington, Indy, and Martinsville right now. So all that to say, the Indiana Cutters need a per, uh, per uh, permanent home. Sorry. So to close, um, the Indiana Cutters are a semi-professional football team on the verge of a championship season and need a pretty much need a turf field with lights that we can rent and use a practice field next to it. Because in my opinion, uh, as somebody who played football for 21 years, (laughs) um, from basically not 21 years, that's a lie. Um, third grade, so 10 to 24, 14 years. Sorry. Um, when you play a lot of football, you, you got to practice on the same surfaces and you got to uh, build consistency. Um, and when you got guys running all over the state of Indiana to get a practice in, uh, I think it causes more stress. Uh, and a way that I can reduce stress for this club is to get them a permanent home and help them reach their budget. Um, so I'll leave that to our audience to interact with. And just if you're not interested in stuff like that and you don't want me telling you personal stuff about myself, make sure you let me know. But on the whole, I think that this is good for football. This is good for Indiana. This is good for our our listeners. One of our own, myself, right? It's kind of chosen. I'm going to start being a substitute teacher next next week. Um, I'm had my first coaches meeting yesterday first practices sunday uh first games are in june like i said if you're interested in playing sponsoring helping us find a pers- uh, permanent home or help me figure out that um i call it a pir system um personal in a communication and recorder um i need a, a system to be able to talk to my quarterback uh that isn't airpods or something you know so uh i think that'll about close us up Steven, if you've got anything for me, I'd appreciate if you let me know you're still alive. Um, and then we'll uh, I'm we'll still let here. We'll let you all go. Got anything for yeah, us? Yeah, everybody remember to uh, yeah, everybody remember to follow us on the Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. Jared at, at Likely Alien. Um, hit up his DMs uh, with anything you can do to help. Uh, Jared, like I don't know if you've ever told me that story so i'm so sorry about your friend and and family i'm glad that you've got that motivation in your life to to move forward and honor him uh like that to try to make sure that his family's taken care of as well um follow me on uh on twitter nice read steve and mm-hmm. then uh, follow the podcast at pod pancake uh, remember we are afternoon pancakes part of the stampy blue podcast network remember to rate and review us five stars you've got a lot of pod, great podcasts on our network uh, a lot of great guys putting out a lot of great information um, yeah. so yeah other than that uh, you know let's have a good weekend hopefully uh we're, we're all happy smiles and bubbles talking about the game uh uh next week yeah we will be go colts go colts <laughs>